Good morning, everybody. So this month, we have been focusing on, are we crazy enough to change the world? And so week one, Susan Rissman, one of our musicians, shared beautifully about nothing can change in the world unless you drastically change yourself. And then we began to look in week number two with Pete Lee, who uh, state representative talked last week about restorative justice and how we were able to sort of move things in a different direction um, based in the circle of influence that you're in. So we're gonna continue to focus on that change. But first I wanted to really acknowledge the dads. So dads, if you would stand. Yay, there we go. Dads are the most ordinary men turned by love into heroes, adventurers, storytellers, singers of songs. What I have realized in all my years of uh, speaking and teaching is that uh, you need a wide variety of kind of dads in order to meet a wide variety of people. Um, and some dads can be interesting, and some are different, and some give us valuable lessons, and some are learning, but they're all dads. So thank you, dads, for modeling whatever it is that you model. So we just love you today. So in order to change our world and have a, a sphere of influence in what we're doing and how we're doing it, we have to understand that all of us want to change the world. We all have an opinion about how it should run. We all have really strong desires and dreams about the world. But um, what Adrian says here is really important. I want to change the world but I have found that the only one thing that can be sure of changing is oneself. So we teach principles every single week that talk about cause and effect, that when you have a thought or an emotion or a feeling, the universe, God, spirit's duty and responsibility is to echo it back out on the world. And so in order to be the change we wanna see in the world, we have to vibrate at a frequency which allows that manifestation to really happen. Um, Yogananda says, change yourself and you have done your part in changing the world. Because what I've discovered is not about they and them at all. It's about your individual world and the influence that you have there to change and shift it. And we've heard two folks so far that have talked about their particular world and how they were able to change it. And as we listen to these stories, the invitation is, what are we going to do to change the sphere of influence that you and I have? Everybody is living for a purpose. You might turn out to be a significant or insignificant depending on the kind of message we are feeding the world with. But every one of us has an inner calling, a voice, a desire, a passion, which we must place out into the world. Uh, the Dalai Lama recently said, if you wanna change the world, first try to improve and bring about the changes within yourself. That will help you change your family. And from there, it gets bigger and bigger. Everything we do has some effect and has some impact upon the world. What I know is that we're doing it either consciously or unconsciously. And the invitation this month is to do it consciously. To consciously be aware of our thoughts and our passion and that which really feeds us is so much different than living unconsciously, waiting for they and them out there to change the world in whatever their world is. It's actually our responsibility to do that. So I believe there are three A's of change. The first one is awareness. 
When you have awareness of an issue or a problem, there is an invitation. But the very first step of any kind of change is being aware that a change needs to happen. The second is the willingness and ability to change. People who are change agents in the world have a flexibility about them that allows things to come forth, that allows systems to come forth, allow different pieces to come forth. And the third one is it's really great to have the awareness and it's good to be flexible with change, but nothing will happen in the universe without action. There is no God up there pulling strings. There is a God here that is waiting to answer to our commands, answer to our desires. In fact, it's doing it automatically. Whether you're doing it in a negative mode or a positive mode does not matter. It is just happening. It is absolutely just happening. So I began to look and think, what if we began to look on a major problem that we have in America, which is around hunger and food. In 2018, 40 million people struggled with hunger and getting food in the United States. 40 million in the richest country in the world. The USDA defines that food insecurity as a lack of access at times to be enough food for all the household members. In 2018, an estimated 15 million households were food insecure, didn't get access to it, didn't have the ability to go after it and get it. It wasn't available to them. Now, we sort of live in a cocoon, and um, I just look at that and I think, how can that be in 2019? How can we still be dealing with this issue? Well, nearly one in 11 Coloradans, 9.2%, struggle with hunger and they don't have access to fresh food and not always have enough money to even buy food. Here in Colorado, that's just Colorado. Nearly one in seven Colorado kids, 14%, may not always know when or where they will get their next meal. In a room of 50 older adults, seniors, three of them, 5.8%, are facing hunger lacks of access to fresh food in Colorado and forced to make choices between purchasing groceries or medication. There is something wrong, folks, because there is not a lack of food. There isn't. But there's a lack of distribution. And there's a lack of awareness on all of us to be able to open the channels for that sort of dynamic to happen. You know, there's a wonderful story where a man went before a wise rabbi, and he said to the rabbi, what is the difference between heaven and hell? And the rabbi said, let me show you. In an instant, he transformed into this amazing room. And there was a long banquet table, and the people had very long arms with no elbows and spoons at the end of them. And the cries in hell were awful. There was groaning and moaning, and it was horrible. And he said, this is what hell is like. And yet, right in front of them was the most luscious food on the planet. And then in an instance, the rabbi transported him to heaven. The scene was exactly the same. The people looked exactly the same. They all had long arms, no elbows, and spoons at the end of them. But there was nothing but joy and laughter and fulfillment. Because each person 
simply lifted their spoon and fed the person across the table. My friends, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's not some place we're going to. To be able to reach across tables and to feed people is really important. Between 2014 and 2017, U.S. consumers wasted nearly 150 tons of food per day. That's nearly a pound per person, and it equates to 30% of the average daily calories consumed by every American. So, what do we do? We can feel bad about the statistics, but feeling bad is not going to change the world. Well, I found somebody that actually is doing something about it. And I found him in the most peculiar way. I found him through my chiropractor. My chiropractor and I were chatting one day, as we often do. I tried to get him here today, but it was useless. I'll get him here one of these days. His wife happened to work for this organization, and so we got talking about the organization, and that's how I discovered this gentleman. So our guest today is Zach. So please welcome Zach. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to have you. So let me tell you a little bit about Zach. Zach Chapman is the executive director of an organization called Colorado Springs Food Rescue. And I was so impressed uh, with them. When I heard about the organization, I always look for organizations because we take 10% of what we take in on a Sunday goes into what we call a tithe fund. And then we take that and some of it goes to our home office and then it gets distributed to all different kinds of organizations. So I'm always looking for organizations that are aligned with our teachings of being a change in the world and, and really helping. So ended up having coffee uh, with Zach, and he began to tell me a little about the organization. So tell us a little bit about what Colorado Springs Food Rescue is. Yeah. First of all, thank you all so much for having me. It's such a passionate, engaged congregation, so this is, really means a lot to be here. Um, so our organization is a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to cultivate a healthy, equitable food system <clears throat> in the greater Colorado Springs community. And the way that we do that is through integrating three pillars of action on a neighborhood-based level. So we increase fresh food um, access, fresh food education and youth employment, and fresh food growing opportunities. And the whole idea that we have as an organization is that if we integrate these three things together on a neighborhood-based level, we can increase health outcomes, increase access to fresh food, and really generate change in our community. Um, so what that really started off as is um, the kind of analysis that Reverend Norm brought up here is the acknowledgement that we are wasting such an obscene amount of food, roughly $180 billion worth in our country every single year. And so what our, what our organization did when we started um, roughly six years ago, as a group of college students actually, was directly redistribute healthy fresh groceries that were going to waste and donating them to local nonprofits such as Urban Peak, um, Marion House, Downtown, and Springs Rescue Mission. Well, pretty soon a bunch of uh, larger grocery stores got on board with us, like Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, um, Trader Joe's, and pretty soon what we started realizing was that you know, there are very specific pockets of our, of our neighborhoods, not just 
communities, but specific neighborhoods that have very, very um, low accessibility to fresh food access. Um, and so what we did was we partnered with local anchor institutions in partnership neighborhoods and, you know, places where you don't normally see emergency food assistance programs like mobile home parks, affordable housing complexes, schools, churches, etc. Um, and co-created weekly fresh food distribution programs. We call these grocery programs. They run similar to a food pantry, but the whole idea around it is that they are co-created alongside neighborhood stakeholders, and we don't stop just with the question of um, providing emergency food assistance, because if I may throw another statistic out there, and there's gonna be a quiz at the end, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, a real, a real glaring question is not, is not just the, the really interesting and disturbing figures that Reverend Norm brought up, but another one is this, is that the USDA started tracking food insecurity rates in 1994. And the food insecurity rate in 1994 was around 12.3%. In 2016, that number is 12.3%. And so despite a massive proliferation of, of the anti-hunger movements, why haven't we moved the needle? Right? It bumped up a little bit during the Great Recession at around 14%, but ostensibly, over 20 years, it's, it stayed the same. So we as an organization were founded really out of self-criticism of the anti-hunger movement of why haven't we moved the needle on this? And that's, it's, it's, an, it's a big conversation, it's a conversation that that, um, that takes a lot more than, than, just, than just one meeting. It's a conversation that has to do with class, it has to do with race, it has to do with health inequities throughout our, our country and our, and our community. But going back to the idea of the no-cost grocery program is that yes, it's a space for um, immediate emergency food assistance, but they are also the sites in which we start conversations and pilot programs around low food access. So we have a pilot um, SNAP-supported buying program in one of our neighborhoods. We have now a full high school internship and employment program that came out of one of our grocery programs that's run by high school students at the Atlas Preparatory School. Um, and you know, other, other examples. It's all contingent upon what neighbors in specific partnership neighborhoods see as being valuable. And we know that we have to take the conversation beyond just the emergency direct redistribution of groceries um, if we're gonna actually create systemic change. So I'm excited to talk more about that. But. If, if, yeah, I'll just I don't keep going. Think he has any you... passion? Do you think the man has any passion? So, one of the things that I think might be good for us to hear is what are some of the blocks and stumbling blocks that you discovered as you were doing this to get the food access into the neighborhoods that you know we we kind of live in our all our own neighborhoods, but in Colorado Springs East and South, there's some incredibly challenges there. So, what were some of the blocks that you discovered, and how did you work around them? I think that the, the biggest thing, um, and I wouldn't call it a block, I would just call it something that I think that the nonprofit sector needs to acknowledge more, is the importance of relationship building as being the, the foundational facet of this work. Because um, although, you know, it's Father's Day, love Father's Day, I called my pops early this morning, I, I love my pops, um, there is an issue sometimes of what we call paternalism with, uh, with nonprofits wherein you're not actually rooting your relationship of service in either mutual aid or um, actually like in, in just a relationship, you're coming into a neighborhood and you're saying, you know, the, the quantitative data is telling me that this neighborhood is food insecure, so I'm gonna provide you food. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's a gross exaggeration there, but that's, that's broadly speaking a, a wider critique of, of nonprofit work often. 
And what we do as an organization is we root all of our programs in relationship building. And, and going back to your question, is that that takes time. You can't build a relationship overnight. You can't build a relationship in an hour. And so when, when we go to a neighborhood that yes, the quantitative data says that this neighborhood has high rates of food insecurity, you know, when it started off, we have grown into a much larger team and a very, very diverse and incredible group. But when it started off as a group of college students, predominantly from upper middle class white backgrounds, you have to be very aware of how you're building relationships and how you're rooting your work in that fundamental um, value set. So I, I guess that was one of the major things was, you know, like visiting a, um, uh, you know, a mobile home park and then just like s starting up a conversation, sharing food together and just talking about the notion of like, hey, you know, are you interested in starting your own no cost grocery program? Um, same thing with schools, churches, et cetera. Really, it's it, relationship building was the, the, the keystone thing. There. So it's, it's more than just feeding people. So uh, I want you to talk about some of the other aspects that you do because you're absolutely right. There's no good to go into a neighborhood uh, feeling superior and, and saying, oh, let us share our food with you. It's not about that. And our, and our biases, white, all the, all the different biases that we come at things with. But... Um, it's more than that. And so once you start to build the relationship, then I think the other key components of what you're doing is critical. And that is, it's not just about giving them food. It's about educating what are you going to do with that food. So um, I have limited experience when I was uh, a priest, Catholic priest in my life. I worked a lot with the poor. And we could get, we could get them fresh food. They didn't even know what to do with the fresh food. So how do you, how do you even begin to address right. past the food? Right. So... I think there's a couple things there because that, sometimes that's the case and sometimes that's not the case. So um, we have biannual surveys for all of our, we have eight no-cost grocery programs across the city. These programs have distributed over $5 million worth of healthy groceries in the past five years. Um, we serve around 13,000 people through these programs each year to give kind of a, I didn't give those mandatory statistics. <laughs> um, but. So the, we have these eight different programmatic sites and in, um, in these biannual surveys that we do, there's always the question of what are the highest desired items, um, food items for your family? And every single time, and we do it by breaking it down by food group, every single time, number one and number two are fresh fruits and vegetables and meats. So I think that there is this question, right, where it's like, Yes, sometimes, and in certain communities, and especially I feel as though in, in my generation and in, in the next generation, this Gen Z, I don't even know what they're, they're called. Um, is that it? Yeah, that's, yeah, Gen, that's Gen Z. Ooh. Now I'm starting to feel old, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, is that there is a severing from our, from our cultural traditions. And when you, when you sever um, someone from their food, you're severing someone from their culture. And that's, that's you know, processes, processes of oppression that are endemic in our, in our society. So there is that kind of amnesia, right? Where it's like not having cultural traditions. But at the same time, when we look at these stats and we build relationships and, you know, know personal individuals who are both um, benefiting from and contributing to our programs, they're the ones teaching us the recipes. So, so, and they're the ones teaching their fellow community members recipes. But I think that where we're seeing this amnesia is in the younger generations. And so that's where our, um, one of our 
uh, programs. It's called FLY, which stands for Food Systems Leadership for Youth. It's our um, city's only youth food systems education and employment program. And it started at Atlas Preparatory School as a partnership with them, um, wherein, so Atlas Prep is a really incredible charter school on the southeast side. They um, have a 92% free and reduced lunch rate. We've been partnering with them since 2016. And what we did was we started, because like, they wanted a no-cost grocery program out of, their, out of their middle school. And so what we said to them was, okay, well, let's talk about the viability of having high school students manage that no-cost grocery program and get class credit for their service. So that started off that way in the simple regard of like them managing the service program. But as our organization expanded, um, our director of programs, Patience, she created a curriculum, a four-part curriculum for these high school students that has them, yes, participate in the direct redistribution of fresh groceries, but also ask themselves, why do I need to do this in the first place? Why do I, why do I need to come here? Why is my neighborhood have no grocery store that has fresh fruits and vegetables, but when I go up north, I can get all the fresh fruits and vegetables, right? So asking critical questions as we're, as we're concurrently doing service work. And so that's the, the keystone of that program. And what's, it's been really incredible to see how students from a wide variety of cultural backgrounds are reconnecting with their cultural food traditions and how that's mm -hmm. regaining a sense of embodiment. Um, and this is something that I think it's, it's not a matter of, um, uh, of just like talking about communities of color when we're talking about severance of cultural traditions. Myself as a white person and white people, like this whole notion of whiteness, don't get me started talking about, right? We just went through a 12 hour um, or like board, board staff retreat yesterday. So like and this incredible um, Afrofuturist herbalist led our board retreat yesterday. So we got really deep into the anti-oppression work. So I'm gonna, but like, but like I personally growing up as, as with this idea of whiteness, um, in suburban New Jersey, I was severed from my cultural traditions. I was severed from my background of German and Maltese and English. So like, this is something that we're all talking about here is how do we reconnect with cultural traditions with food? So I, I think that gets somewhere yeah, on that. Good. Yeah, good. Um, the other thing, I, I want, want them to hear about how you got involved with this. So this is yeah. not his first um, journey with this organization. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the first place. Yeah, so, um, so I, for, for quite a few years, have been involved in food work. I, I helped manage a community-supported agriculture program back in New Jersey when I was in college. I managed the Colorado College Farm uh, the year of the Waldo Canyon fire. <laughs> we had to evacuate the rabbit. <laughs> the rabbit lived. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and I graduated in 2013, just before this project started, and lived out in Oregon and directed a, um, a teen program wherein we created a composting social enterprise that supported a local boys and girls club that I worked for. Um, so I've always been really interested in, in food systems work. And um, in 2015, I was transitioning out of, a, out of a position there, and lo and behold, I found out that Colorado Springs Food Rescue was hiring for their, their first executive director. and. Um, you know, it, that was, it's history from there. So that's how awesome. I got involved. Awesome. And, and tell me personally why you're doing this. What is your passion around this and how does it tap into your, mm. your inner passion? Yeah. Well, I guess since I'm in a house of worship, I can, I can um, speak It's a candidly. loose house of worship, so you're all right. <laughs> I can speak candidly. <laughs> it always has been a loose yeah. since we've been here anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 
for me, there's, um, there's a core value that, that feels very, that resonates very deep inside of myself. Um, I, I'm a Buddhist and um, I, there's, there's a really incredible old Buddhist teacher named Vimalakirti. Vimalakirti was an incredible, incredible figure. Um, also talking about um, Pride Month, Vimalakirti would, would shift between genders um, and was an incredible bodhisattva um, and is a, a, considered a patriarch in the, in the Zen tradition, even though he lived in, I kind of using, like using the they pronoun for Vimalakirti, even though they lived in India um, thousands of years ago. Vimalakirti lived in poverty and um, there's a very famous uh, story, there's a series of sutras around him and um, one day he got really, really ill and um, the call went out to his, like all the followers of him. Like, Vimalakirti, he's so ill, how can he be ill? He's a bodhisattva. And so they all, like thousands of people, they all stuff themselves into a 10 by 10 foot room next to Vimalakirti. And, and they say, why are you ill? And he says, I'm ill because the world is ill. And it's that level of reciprocity of like, I don't believe in liberation until we're all liberated. Right. And, no, oh, thank you. And so that as a core tenant of my underlying spiritual value systems has informed the reason why I'm in, in, in this work. Um, yeah. Good, yeah. Isn't he a beautiful man? Thank you. I already, we already all shed too many tears at our, at our retreat yesterday, so I can't, <laughs> I don't have any more. <laughs> so, Thank you. I want to talk about, because you're, when you and I talked earlier, it's amazing the tentacles that you have in the community. So it starts as this one piece, and then it's grown all these tentacles. And so how do you rein all those tentacles in still with this original passion and where, where are those tentacles leading the organization? Yeah, so it's a very exciting time to answer that question. Um, this wasn't staged. <laughs> um, so the first four years of our organization's existence was kind of just like seeing what sticks basically, right? Like we know we have these values, we know we have a mission. Our mission is to cultivate an equitable food system in our community. We have these pillars of action, but kind of throwing programs and seeing what sticks, right? So we have a, a program that's called Pharmacy with an F, where we partner with local um, doctor's offices that serve Medicaid patients, and um, we rescue and redistribute produce from local farmers markets, and then the doctors redistribute it to their, um, to their Medicaid patients at no cost. Um, we have a backyard produce donation program. We now have a, starting in August, we had um, now have our first social enterprise that's called Soil Cycle. It's a residential compost pickup service. So we now have 100 different individuals from our community who are having their compost scraps from their kitchen um, picked up every, um, every single week and then turned, instead of being turned into methane in our landfills, being turned into uh, soil that's gonna regenerate our programs. But so all these programs started like really piling on one another. Um, and in 2017, we went through a three-year strat planning process where it's our three-year strat plan between 2018 and 2020. And within that strat plan um, is essentially the mandate to 
integrate these things together because we've been this decentralized, as you mentioned, the tentacles, right? This decentralized network. We have 60 partnerships throughout Colorado Springs. Um, and we haven't had um, an actual place-based incarnation of these three programmatic pillars to really integrate them together. And so in 2017, so we're based in the Hillside neighborhood, just southeast of downtown Colorado Springs. Um, we're in the Helen Hunt campus, which used to be a 114-year-old um, school that was very unfortunately shut down in 2016, but it was donated to a local community foundation who then turned it into a nonprofit campus. So Catholic Charities is there, um, CPCD is there, um, a really wonderful group called Peak Parent is there. We all integrate our programs together. It's a really wonderful thing. I'd recommend checking it out. In that same neighborhood, at the very end of South Institute Street, um, South Institute, right next to Hillside Community Center, Relevant Word Ministries, Hillside Gardens, that whole area there, at the very top of the hill, there's a vacant three and a half acre plot of land. Um, and in 2017, we started conversations with the Legacy Institute, which is the, the community foundation that owns that piece of land as well yeah. as the, the space in which we are in currently. Um, and so essentially, after um, a series of conversations and some buy-in from other foundations, in 2018, in August, um, we closed on that property and they donated the property to our organization for an in-kind um, value of 354K. And so, but it was contingent upon uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but it was contingent upon, and there's a lot of wonderful things in the deed of donation, um, but it's contingent upon us creating what we call a neighborhood food center. And so this is a movement that we're seeing across the country. Canada is actually really pioneering these. There's a couple of incredible examples in Denver as well that we have consulted with. But the whole idea around a community food center is that it is a location that meets needs of a specific neighborhood by providing a community-driven site for um, food access, education, job creation, and growing opportunities, and general community gathering, right? So what our community food center is gonna be themed around, because this is rooted after you know, two and a half years of neighborhood engagements, um, this, this project was driven by the Hillside neighborhood. Um, we have representation of the Hillside neighborhood on our board, um, and so, the whole idea around this site, which is gonna be called the Hillside Hub, is it's going to be a community-operated space for neighbors to come to grow through a variety of reasons or ways. So one is a community learning farm, which will be an outdoor farm that we're gonna integrate our youth educational programming in. There's going to be, and already started, um, a indigenous healing garden, which is the first one of our entire cities. It's being led by Hasea Advocates, which is an incredible nonprofit that specifically works with women, uh, native women who have uh, uh, survived domestic violence. So a woman, a really incredible woman named Monica Snowbird, who lives in the Hillside neighborhood, is overseeing the indigenous learning garden and healing garden. So that's gonna support Title VI students and um, the women through the Hasea program the community learning farm I mentioned. There's gonna be a 5,000 square foot, four season solar passive greenhouse that's gonna be generating fresh um, greens for sale year round um, to provide more jobs for the neighborhood. And then there's also gonna be a 3,000 square foot community gathering space for um, workshops, cooking classes, a larger scale, um, kind of like, if you will, a no cost grocery program on steroids um, in that site and our administrative offices. So, that site, and then the other thing that's gonna be there is gonna be a drop-off site for our, our compost program. So this, I just kind of threw a lot at you there, but, but what we're getting at here with the Hillside Hub is an incarnation of all the programmatic pillars that I just mentioned before, right? So it's, you know, an individual will come there to drop off their food scraps, that food scraps is turned into the soil that then is 
planted, used to plant food in the commercial farm that is then providing an income for an individual to manage that farm who lives in the neighborhood, who is then maybe volunteering over at the indigenous healing garden. You see how these things, we're trying to create a cycle. Because right now we have a line. We have, we have this line where, where I'm a consumer, I'm this agent of consumption, and then I throw my leftover food or I throw my plastic bag and it, and it goes right into the landfill and I don't have to see it anymore. And, and that's, that's how our whole economic system is predicated right now. And what we're trying to do is really create that circle. Um, so that's, that's what we're really excited about. Um, we've raised a million dollars, we got another million to go, so I am actively fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanna help you with your fundraising, and so we wanted to give you some oh, money wow. from our tithe fund. Oh. Um, Thank you to help so you toward that project. And I just want to acknowledge the work that Zach has done and who he is. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're done now. I'm done? Yeah. Come on. I didn't even get into like all the other stuff. Let's keep going. Let's, we just got started. Who are you? You, you haven't been, okay. a, I'll get out of here. You haven't been in, in a church in a while, but the minister always has the last That word. is true. That is true. <laughs> all right. See you. Stay right there. So it's important that we remember the future and that we treat it like a noun. And yet it's not. It's a verb. It requires action. And so when you look at what Zach's organization is able to do, because somebody had the audacity to think differently and to cause a ripple in the world, is exactly the call that each one of us has. It may not be in the food industry, it may be in another industry, but we all have this power within us to think differently, to cause a different reaction. And if you can't feed 100 people, then feed just one. Start a ripple. That's really what this organization has done, is it just started to ripple it, just started to ripple it. We are already producing enough food to feed the world. We have already the technology in places that allow us to produce more than we can find a market for. That is our lived reality. What I love of what Zach's work is doing is his image is so important, I want you to take it away with you today, is to get away from our straight line thinking and to understand that there is a circle that you and I must help complete in small and action-oriented ways. We were put on a round planet. So when we continue to function without realizing our cause and effect with other people, we're actually against the energy of the planet. And so raising our consciousness and our awareness is what our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, says all the time. I'm going to come down and read this because I put too many words on there, but I didn't want to leave out a single sentence. This is from our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, in our textbook. He said, if we could come to see that life is a mirror tending to reflect back to us the images of our own thinking, then we should realize that by changing our thinking, we can change the reflections in the mirror. Changing ourself and what we think causes a change in our world of manifestation. Cast your net across the waters of consciousness and you can feed the entire world with what it needs. That's the power 
that you and I possess. That's the power that Zach and his organization decided to do something about. That's the power that when I asked him about his passion, tears came to his eyes. Because this is all about the heart, folks. This isn't a head trip. We've had enough head trips. It's about relationship and connecting heart to heart that causes the change to happen. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to carry this with you this week. I'm going to ask you, are you on a straight line or are you in a circle? Where is your circle of influence? And when you find it, ripple the hell out of it. Pray with me. There is one power in the universe, one God, one source. Call it spirit. Call it Jesus. Call it Aruba. Call it whatever you choose to call it. But there is one source that permeates, lives, moves, and has its being in all of life. And that one power is present at this moment. It is in this moment that we deeply feel that divine presence that is within us. What I know is that I am one with that divine presence. It is the breath that I am breathing. And I know that it is that same power in each and every person in this space and the entire planet. One power, one source, expressing itself as us. And so what I claim and know for us this day is that we go forth from this space learning to feed one another, opening our minds and our hearts to complete the circle of life over and over again. What I know and affirm this morning is that Colorado Springs Food Rescue, Zach and his entire team, is absolutely given every gift they need to manifest what exactly it is that they are creating. I know that for him. I know that for the entire team. And I know it for us. So whatever fear we have in our hearts this day about influencing our circle, we remove it. We stand in that divine assurance that as we speak our word, the universe manifests. We claim and know that this morning. I claim and know that for every person on the planet, that we do this world consciously with great power and with great joy. I'm in such gratitude for the change makers who are crazy enough to change the world. The Zachs, the Susan, the Pete Lee, and many more to come. I say thank you, Spirit, for I know that each and every one of us is that change agent changing the world. Uh, so with a grateful heart, I simply release my prayer because I know the minute I have spoken this, the universe opened doors, windows, opportunities in all kinds of ways for us to feed the world spiritually with fresh food and with great joy. So I release these knowing that is the truth. I let it be so. And with one voice, we sing and affirm together. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. 
place where God shows up. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. I am the place. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. And so it is. It's the time we get to circulate our good, and I'm going to invite you to be incredibly generous as you have pledged to be so uh, during this journey. So I'm going to invite you to take your tithe or your gift in your hand, and I invite those who are watching us online, our virtual audience, to join in the law of circulation as well. There is a little uh, donate button right there to the side of your screen. So place your hand over your heart and let us pray our affirmation together. I joyfully celebrate the flow of God through me. I am grateful for receiving and giving to my spiritual community. I give thanks, always knowing God is my source. And so it is.